it's tough to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know anybody that wants to choose that path. 2020 was rough on our family. Two days before Mother's Day in 2020, I lost my grandmother in the morning, my grandfather in the afternoon. Not of COVID, ironically. And then that fall, in August, just coming up on one year, we, we lost my uncle as well. It was a hard time. Things were not normal. We didn't have a funeral service in here. We didn't have a funeral service in Kentucky, uh, where my grandfather lived. It was, it was eerie and odd. But I, I do want to say to you, church family, you were there. And I, I can't say thank you enough. And this week, as we remember other deaths, we remember Owen's birthday, who we lost, 2020. We remember Nancy, who lost her mom last week. They're getting ready to go to California for funeral tomorrow morning. There are so many more that we could count. As I look over and I see faces and I remember the times we've cried, the times we've prayed, the times we've sung, the times we've laughed. It's been hard. We're a fairly young church. We're not used to a lot of funerals in 2020 and 2021. We've had a lot of funerals. It's been tough. Some of you are still beat down from it. And so first, let me say this to you. I hope and pray this is going to be a really encouraging sermon to you. But the whole premise of this sermon, why we wanted to talk about this, and frankly, this is why we wanted to do this series, was this phrase that Joe and Chad and I have heard over and over and over and makes us want to puke. And, and yeah, you, you can say that in a sermon if you really, really mean it. I mean, it, like, I can't tell you how many times we've been at a funeral home and we've heard, heaven must need another angel. And that's not the time to give a theology lesson. And we know that and we don't. But we wanted to address and talk about the lies that surround death that are not helpful. We also want to address, even more importantly, the truth that is in God's Scripture that is actually comforting. It's not some magic spell, some, some placated phrase that, oh, I'm happy now. No, it's not that. But there is real, genuine comfort for the grieving. There is real, genuine comfort when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But two, and, and this, is, this is kind of equally important in some ways from this sermon context, because not everybody's in the valley of the shadow of death right now. I mean, we're still hurting, but like uh, my family's pretty healthy right now, praise God. Even extended family, like things are okay right now. Praise God for that. But as I said, people are remembering birthdays, lost loved ones, 
People are getting ready to go to funerals. So there's this other side of it where we as a church get to come around people who are grieving. And we want to make sure we say the right things. We, we offer good comfort. And so that's what we're going to try to do and what we're going to try to talk about today. I, I want to call, before we get into things, your attention to um, the little resources there at the bottom of those notes sections. Um, kids, by the way, we are back. We've got the kids' notes out there. If you want to grab one, um, there's pencils out there for you. Adults, yours are, are in the bulletin. Kids, you're welcome to use that one too. Um, the kids' one is just more fun. But this book, What Grieving People Wish You Knew About What Really Helps and What Really Hurts by Nancy Guthrie. She's, she's a Nashvilleian pastor's wife. Um, she's lost two children um, while they were kids and, and has walked some hard, hard roads. So highly, highly recommend this book to you. Some of the things I have learned about this, a lot of them came from this book. So let me recommend this to you. It's short and it's easy reading. It's really good. Even it talks about grief in a healthy way. And so if you're hurting and grieving, let me recommend this book to you as well. As she walks through, this is not true, but this is. Praise God for that. So um, with that prefaced, let me talk to us about something else before we get into these scriptures. Then we have three simple points. And we're going to walk through the Bible. But I, I want us to get that when we die, when, when I die, whatever day that means, whether that's this afternoon, driving home from church, and I hope that's not the case. I don't think that's going to be the case. But we need to know that's reality. That could be. Whether that's when I'm 70, 80, 90, who knows. That when we die, there is great hope. And it may not be easy when we go through that. It may not be fun. But there is great, great hope. Some of y'all don't know this about me. Um, I don't talk about it a lot because it doesn't affect my life a lot. But um, when I was 20 years old in seminary, uh, second semester of seminary, I had a heart incident. Um, it was very healthy. I was actually the healthy. Uh, it was not this. It was, it was a very healthy John. Um, in the sense of working out two to three hours, four to five times a week. I, I mean, that's all I had to do. I didn't have any friends down there. Moved to Texas. And yeah, don't ask me what I think of Texas because you, you might get told. But anyway, great school. I, I loved what I got to do there. Did truly meet some great people and learned so much. But I was in great shape and found out I have a genetic heart defect. It's not very bad. But if you stay up all night studying for midterms, dosed up on, you know, the biggest Cokes that you can get at the grocery store, eating candy and, and junk food, it, it tends to bring out the worst in you. Um, taking, Bened or taking Sudafed, yeah, that was, that was the, the kicker. And um, I laid there, and they didn't know what was going on, and my blood pressure was off the charts. My heart rhythm was crazy. Um, they told me that, you know, they were looking at, at bringing in a consult to, to put in a pacemaker. Um, that's when it, it kind of scared me a little bit. Um, didn't know what to do. All alone in a room there. Because, um, again, didn't know anybody. And there was a thought that went through my mind of, what if this is it? <laughs> it sure felt like I was going to die. 
what if this is this stuff this this Jesus that I I'm in seminary is, is this real like am I ready to die and in those moments something changed in my head that is that I've been blessed with for all my life of the answer came back very clear of yeah I'm good that confidence in Christ that only Christ Himself could provide. I rode through the night. My heart calmed down. Didn't have to do anything. I'm not on any medication. God's very, been very gracious. It, it affects my life very little. But that moment was so good when I was so close I could say, what's real? And today, I want us to look at the Scriptures and see what is real according to somebody who actually knows, who's gone beyond the grave and came back swinging. And we have great, great hope. So three points today. The first one, people do not become angels when they die. People do not become angels when they die. So just some simple teaching. We're not even going to go through a whole lot of Scripture. This is big, big picture. But angels are a created being, just like people. All right? Angels, angel, actually, the word means messenger. All right? So they're, they're, they're God's people that He uses to send message, to go do a task. Um, angels don't become people, and people don't become angels. So, so when we talk about things like this statement, heaven needed another angel, that's about the equivalent of saying heaven needed another aardvark. Like, there's angels, they were created, and there's people, they were created. Nowhere in the Scripture, the reason I'm not reading Scriptures to you that say, you know, you don't have to become an angel is, like, there, there's no thought of that in the Scriptures. Like, there's no connection here. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, it says we were created with a little less glory than the angels. In other words, we can't you know, float and disappear and we're not like glowing or anything fun like that. But it actually also talks about, we're going to go through this in Hebrews, that we were created to rule over the angels. We were created to rule the earth. And, and that is nothing that an angel was ever created for. God has relationships with people because they're created in the image of God. We have the ability to communicate and to, to fellowship with God. Angels don't. They worship God. They do what He says. There was a group of them that rebelled against God. God cast them out. It says they flew out of heaven faster than lightning. There's no redemption for them. But angels are not people. There's, there's no Scripture that talks about that. And let me again reemphasize why you don't want to be an angel when you die. One, angels are not created in the image of God. They are in God's presence. They worship God. But they don't have the relationship you can have at this very moment through Jesus Christ with God. When we talk about Christianity, we talk about it being a relationship with God. Angels don't have that. They're servants. They're doers. We are created in the very image of God. Every single one of you. 
They may be more powerful, number two, but they're not destined for eternal joy in Christ. We don't have any indication that angels cease to exist or anything like that. There are actually some, some passages in Revelation that do have angels in them worshiping God, but, but they don't have that joy, that, that eternal joy of being in Christ, of being around the throne, of being children of God. That's never said of an angel. Third reason, you don't want to be an angel. There's no redemption for an angel. Again, when they sinned against God, when they rebelled against God, it seems to have been a one-time choice. They were shot out of heaven like lightning. That's it. It says they're reserved in eternal chains for damnation for all eternity. So we don't become angels. By the way, there's also no naked babies with halos and fluffy wings in Scripture too. Just for the record, they scare the pants off people whenever people see angels. So let's, let's make sure we, we, we go to the Scriptures on these things. Let's not go to the trite, secular American view of angels. These are God's warriors. When the Bible talks about that God is the Lord of hosts, that, that means He's the Lord of armies. Those, those armies of angels, He has ultimate power. He commands them at His will. And if He needed more, He could just whip up another batch. Okay? Like, let's, let's make sure we analyze this ridiculous statement a little bit here. There's no comfort in that. And by the way, I mean the theology, oh, it, it's really bad. God needed, God doesn't need anything. He has the cattle on 10,000 hills, is the way the Bible puts it. It says he could have called 10,000 angels. Oh yeah, just pick up a quick holler and you got 10,000. 10, There's no need in God. He is completely self-sufficient. He did not need your loved one. That's not why your loved one's gone. The Scriptures say, here's what they say of God when it comes to death. That precious in the sight of God are the death of His holy ones. That, that word precious it means so much more and he needed another angel. It doesn't mean, it doesn't say happy, it doesn't say joyous, it doesn't say he needed, the, it's, it's a precious thing. It's a solemn, holy moment when you're sitting and holding someone's hand and they breathe their last breath and they walk into the presence of Almighty God. It's a precious thing. It's not a need of God. So first, people do not become angels when they die. Let's just, just make sure that never enters into our brain. But two, there is hope because death is not the end. Let me say that again. There is hope. So it's not that there's not hope. There is great hope. There's actual real hope and it has nothing to do with angels. But there is real hope because death is not the end. And I appreciate Valerie reading 
2 Corinthians 5 so much. I, I want you to open your Scriptures if you have a copy there. There's, there's lots of copies. If you feel comfortable um, taking one of those from the pewbacks, they haven't been touched for a week. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read 10 verses here. And I want you to picture this. And I love this passage. Um, in the old King James, if you've memorized this, this is the passage that says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's phrased a little bit differently here in this translation. Same, same Greek, same Scripture, just a little modernization of the translation so we can understand it a little plainer English to modern ears. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. I want you to go into this remembering who was the guy who wrote it. It's Paul, right? First missionary, traveled all over the world. He was a persecutor of the church prior to becoming a believer. What was his job? What was his vocation? Anybody remember? He was a tent maker. He was a tent maker. And so what illustration does he use to teach us about going to heaven and about our body? A tent. And I remember the first night I slept in the tent. Some of you, I know there's been kind of a resurgence in camping. I love that. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, Joe, Chad, and I were all going uh, hiking on the Appalachian Trail this fall. We usually sleep in tents. Um, it's a good thing, but, but picture this. Take this and get the, get the vividness of the picture. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, in other words, our body, if our, if our body is destroyed, he's comparing our body to a tent, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Catch, catch the, the contrast there. Tent, building. One temporary, one permanent. We have a building from God. A house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. See, Paul's retirement plan wasn't about a 401k or whatever the equivalent was in the first century. He was thinking when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. He, he is really getting into the long-term planning here. We've got a building. We've got an eternal home. An eternal body. Verse 2, For in this tent we groan. As I get older, I realize what that verse means more and more and more. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Those dark times that you just don't know how to face tomorrow. When depression or anxiety or the valley of the shadow of death or that, that fear of what's going to happen comes. When we groan, longing to put on the heavenly dwelling, longing for something better. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. In other words, we're always going to have a physical body. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. In other words, our desire is not to be, you know, some ooey-gooey spirit floating around out there. We're not looking for Casper the ghost. That doesn't sound fun, right? We don't need to become an angel. But that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
I love how Paul phrases that here. Man, that just that hits my heart. Because he doesn't say, you know, we talk about mortal. What's the opposite? Immortal, right? But that's not the word he uses. Life. For any of you who've ever faced depression, that's, man, that's good news. Because it feels like death. Paul reminds us when we give up this body, it's life. Jesus said it this way, whoever knows me has a spring of water springing up within him unto eternal life. John 3.16 says it this way, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Life. Verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, so we don't have it yet, but there's been a deposit made. Um, this, is, this is earnest money, all right? So you, I'm going to pick on our title company here, Lawyer Russell. I mean, the earnest money's been paid, and instead of Russell and his title company getting to hold it, we get the earnest money. It's way better than money to certify that contract. God has given us His Spirit. The Spirit who has promised to be with us for all eternity. God moved up the timetable. And He gives us His Spirit now. So there's hope even of life right at this very moment. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, when that day of death comes, be of good courage. That doesn't mean you're happy. But be of good courage. When that day of death comes for your loved ones, as Paul, the same guy said, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Be of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, we are not in presence. So all of us, as awesome as it was seeing glorious day, it's not the glorious day yet. And we know it. It, it, We get a piece of it. We get a taste. We get the appetizers. It's already here, but it's not yet here. And so we wait. We're away from the Lord. Verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Let me pause there at that statement because this is the reason we've gone to this text. When we are away from the body, where are we according to this text? With the Lord. With the Lord. There's no soul sleep. That's a made-up thing. There, there's no angel you know, transformation that happens. There's none of this stuff. When we die, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are instantly, immediately, and forever in God's very presence. But, our bodies aren't there. Look what he says. 
So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I'm going to keep reading a little bit longer than Valerie did. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So what do we do as a response of knowing that we are going to be in God's very presence someday? We tell everybody else. We share the good news. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you. This is Paul talking about, you know, he's not just bragging on himself. Again, but giving you to cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not as about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, in other words, if, if everybody thinks we're crazy for thinking this, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, in other words, people believe us and trust Christ, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. This is the Gospel. Christ came, lived as a man. He took on physical flesh, like the real deal. He had a body. He ate. He drank. He stumped his toe and it hurt. He scratched his knee when he was a kid. He learned to read. The God who made the tree that the letters were written on. And yes, I know that's anachronistic. There weren't paper yet, but you get the drift. Like, he got it. And then, Philippians 2, 5-8 through says that he humbled himself. Not just to that. Not just to God being constrained by a body. But he humbled himself to the point of death. He let people take his body, nail it to a cross, hang it up for all to see and humiliate him, and he died. He took the worst that could possibly be given out. And then, three days later, he got up again. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. In other words, our, our old sinful self has died when we trust in Christ. He died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is why we're not prejudiced as Christians. We don't consider your body, whether it's healthy or sick, white skin, black skin, tall or short. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Beautiful or not, the way we are to look at each other's brothers and sisters is as a brother or a sister in Christ, and that is it. These bodies are temporary. They are broken. But they're going to get upgraded. That's the good, good news. Philippians. I'm going to turn, turn with me if you can. Philippians chapter 1. Such a good scripture. This is, this is getting to the fun part here, alright? Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. 
I'll just finish up 18. It kind of starts the sentence. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will return out for my deliverance. He's in prison. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. In other words, he won't be executed. But that with full courage now, as always in Christ, will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I live on the flesh. That means fruitful labor for me. In other words, he's going to keep working, keep sharing that gospel. Yet which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again to you. In other words, you're going to be so, you're, we're going to get to get excited together because we're going to be physically together again. But, but see that. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. There's a connection, there's an instantaneousness to this. Luke 23. This is short. This is Jesus hanging on the cross. This is the last one of the Bible drill section here. All right. Luke 23, verse 43. Jesus is on the cross between two thieves, two criminals. One of the criminals mocks him. Well, they both start mocking him, and then one turns to him. Verse four, let's start in verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you're coming into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, catch every single little word here, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Not some point off in the future when I come back and resurrect all the bodies, but Jesus is going to do that. Praise God. But today... You will be with me in paradise. That's good, good news. There's hope. For your loved ones who knows Christ, well, we cry because we miss them. We want them with us. For those of you who have lost a child, we, we cry because we miss them. There is great hope because they are with Christ this very moment. And the good news is Christ is coming back. He's going to resurrect the dead. He's going to glorify our body. It's going to be that eternal home. It's not that old tent, but a new house. I remember the very first night I went camping. It rained. And when I say it rained, I mean it rained. And we were in one of those little triangle canvas tents. Like, you know, it looked like the Charlie Brown movie tent. And, and I remember that thing leaking and then it got cold. And I remember waking up and there was ice on the sleeping bag where it rained in and then froze. I was not too into being in a tent that morning. I was ready for a nice solid structure. And that's the desire we have. When people restore cars, some of y'all know I've 
been blessed. I've, I've inherited my, my grandpa's old farm truck and fixing it up. It's 22 years old and I'm fixing it up. We got new headlights on it. We got new, and, and it wasn't just that I put a new headlight in. The old ones, you know, they were just plain headlights. Well, I got these nice shiny chrome ones in there. They look real pretty. That's the idea of the restoration that Christ will provide. It's not just this old body with its aches and pains and and failures. At the resurrection, there's nice shiny chrome. It's a good day. So be encouraged. But I do want to give a warning to those of you who might be in here, and Luke 16, 19-31, we're not going to turn here for time's sake, but, but it's about a man who did not know Christ. And he went instantly to that real but horrible place called hell. The, the New Testament calls it Gehenna. That was literally the trash dump. And there were a few times that fires got started there and they, they couldn't be stopped because of the rotting trash burned so hot. This scary, horrible, but real thing is true. Eternity is true for everyone. And what makes all the difference is that what we talked about before is that Christ died for you. So the good news for you today is you do not have to worry. If you're laying there in the hospital bed with that heart thing that nobody knew was there, You can sit up from that bed knowing it's going to be okay no matter what. Trusting Christ changes everything. It brings eternal life. So let me beg you, friend, turn from your sins to Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that repenting. Turning from our sin to Christ saying, it's all yours. I was wrong about all that. You were right about that. I am in your command now Christ and I trust you that can happen this very moment and Jesus can say to you what he said to that thief on the cross today you can be with me in paradise I would love nothing more than to talk with you more about that pastor Chad our elders Jeff Jeff I think Steve's here too yeah there's Steve their wives, some of our godly ladies like Tedra up here on the front row, we would love nothing more than to talk with you about that. Even today. So the last thing. What to say and not to say when death strikes. So so let's pull this around. I, I think the first one's obvious. Don't say heaven needed another angel. It's not true. It's not even comforting. And it makes God really little. But here's some other things not to say. Just get over it. Oh, it'll be okay. It won't. Death's bad. Don't be sad. Don't cry. Why are you so upset? God only takes the best. What a lie. They are happy. You should be too. It's better this way. Please, just take those things out of your vocabulary completely. Stop acting like death isn't a big deal. Death is hated. It's evil. 
It's unnatural. It's an invader that came in from our sin. It's painful. It's ugly. It's the most powerful tool Satan has in its arsenal. It's his desire to destroy you. Don't tell lies about death that make it seem like not a big deal. But as Christians, when we grieve, we do have hope, but it's still painful. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this way, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. But, but don't just take that Scripture. Take the whole Scripture. Take Matthew 5.4. Blessed are those who mourn. Not just death, but, but this whole world of evil. Blessed are those who mourn that, for they shall be comforted. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. So take those things out of your vocabulary that make light of death. And learn to weep with your brothers and sisters. Your literal family, your spiritual family. So, so what, what should we do? Well, first, follow that Scripture. Weep with those who weep. Sometimes you don't need to say that much. It's not the content that matters each time. There are times content's really important, but but. Sometimes just be there. Wrap your arm around that brother or sister, that mom or dad. Be there. Cry and laugh and then cry again and then laugh again. Be there. Here's some things to say. I love you. I'm so sorry you're missing your mom. Maybe telling them it's okay for us to laugh and it's okay for us to cry. Our emotions are really confusing right now. But can I pray for you right now? And stop and actually do it. How about, can I give you a hug? I know that gets weird right now, but it's appropriate. Can I give you a hug? How about, would you tell me a story about your dad? Or, or maybe tell me a story about that family vacation where everything went wrong, but it's just the best memory. How about this? I'm bringing dinner to you tonight. No, I'm bringing dinner to you tonight. No, I'm bringing dinner to you tonight. It's going to sit on your porch and rot if you don't take it. By the way, I'm coming on Friday to mow your yard. Don't ask what you can do. Do what they need. Do what they need right then. Do it. How about on that anniversary? I'm so grateful for Joe and Chad. Uh, last Mother's Day, <laughs> it was tough. I don't know if you noticed, I wasn't up here that day. They covered everything. Maybe something like Sparks, we remember that this week was Owen's birthday, and we're so sorry, and we miss him too. It's hard. But we can love each other as a family. 
going to end. I want to read you a song. It's an old song by Isaac Watts. This will be the third song by Isaac Watts. He got death. He understood it. He understood that absent from flesh was actually a glorious thought. He understood that the rock of ages would hold it. He got it. But let me read you one more. My God, how many are my fears. How fast my foes increase. Conspiring my eternal death. They break my fleeting peace. That lying tempter would persuade my heart to doubt Your aid. And all my swelling sins appear much greater than Your grace. Arise, O Lord, fulfill Your grace while I Your glory sing. My God has broke the serpent's teeth. Death has lost its sting. That's good news, folks. That's Bible news. That's Scripture comfort. And we may cry when we're saying it, and that's okay. Because it's real. It's not some trite saying, some made-up cliche. Jesus has stomped the serpent. And there will be a day when He returns and that foot steps forth on this earth again, and every tear will be gone. That's the comfort. Arise, my God. Arise, my God, and fulfill Your grace. While I, Your glory, sing, my God has broke the serpent's teeth and death has lost its sting. So what we're going to do is we're going to do something that Jesus told us to right before He was killed. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to shake our fist at death. Death is a very physical act and there's nothing we can do about it, so we're going to fight death with another physical act. We're going to take bread and we're going to take the cup that Jesus told us to, to remember His death. And He said to do this again until He returns when death will be no more. We're saying, I believe the words of Christ. I believe that Your death is enough for my sins to cover it completely and that I'm alive again eternally. And death is a lie that's coming untrue because Jesus is coming back and going to put His foot on this ground and the dead will be raised to life again. Death has lost its sting. And so until that day, we take the bread. And we take the cup, living by faith, not by sight. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't know if this sermon made sense to anybody else, but I praise you for the work you did in my heart and the comfort you have brought. We praise you for your body, Jesus, that was brought to death. We praise you that death couldn't hold you.
He walked out of that grave. We praise You that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, we will not fear the evil that is attacking us. For You comfort us. We may cry, Lord. We may hurt. But we're not afraid. For we know the truth. We know You're alive, Jesus. And You will live forever. That You will raise up these tents and make them into a forever body, a forever home, a house that won't be taken away. So Jesus, help us to walk by faith and not by sight, Lord. To take Your bread, representing Your body, even though it's with COVID, we, we don't even hand it out, Lord, right now. But we celebrate the, the real presence you have here, Jesus, with us, Emmanuel, your body and your blood, to remind us physically that you will eternally raise our bodies, our loved ones' bodies. There is great hope. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.